On this podcast, we feature a lot of people who are people and talent experts. Today's guest is not. Karina Magar <laughs> has worn many hats in her life, MTV presenter, voiceover artist, copywriter, and author of books. The latter is why she's here to chat with me today. In my quest to be the biggest people and talent nerd on earth, I do read a lot of books, and I'm not gonna lie to you, a lot of them are really, really boring. Karina's book, How to Make Work Not Suck, couldn't really be further from that. It's 120 pages of insightful, honest, and really freaking funny tidbits from the mind of someone who's definitely not an expert on work, but has thought a lot about it. So Karina, hi. Yes. I'm excited to be chatting with you today. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you like the book and I'm glad you didn't find it boring because that would have been my worst nightmare. Yeah, I know. I've, I've been chatting with you for about five minutes now and I think I've definitely decided you're not boring. <laughs> God. <laughs> so I just want to start out. I mean, you've had such a varied career. I touched on a little bit of it in the intro. You could have chosen to write a book on anything. Why did you write a book about workplaces? Firstly, the original version of the book was called The Art of Creative Bullshitting, and I wrote that when I was 19 at uni. It was my final major project at advertising school, and it was after having about 10 to 12 internships in advertising agencies that I realized that I'm quite observant, and I was noticing a lot of similarities in the people and the language that people would use in in all of these different office jobs. And so I started jotting them down and then 10 years passed and I decided I would try and get it published. So it's not so much that I decided to write a book about work. It's more that I was sitting on all of this material that I would pass to people, you know, um, CEOs and chairmen of of companies from all different industries. They'd have a read and they'd go, this is really good that there isn't a book like this out there. So... It wasn't until I found myself in a room with an editor at a big publishing house and I sort of pitched the idea and they were like, you know what, there's no book like this out there that isn't written by a middle-aged man. Mm. And that's true. Like when I think of career advice books, I think of, you know, Charles Saatchi or Paul Arden. Um, They're all on my bookshelf. But I don't want the advice at the time as a 25-year-old of a 45-year-old gazillionaire who's, you know, been around for 30 years doing what he does so there were no books out there written by a young woman who didn't really have a career like I actually would never say I have a career I hate the c word because um it implies that you've stuck to one thing Mm. I can't really claim I've had a career in anything because I just do what I do um so yeah does that answer your question I was just sitting on stuff that I wanted to get out there and it just made sense that I put it all together as a sort of career guide for younger people I mean, that completely answers my question. And and my next one would be, what was that process like going from sitting on all of the stuff yeah. to having a fully published book mm-hmm. in multiple languages, I will say. 14. You, 14 mm-hmm. languages. You did mention mm-hmm. that you've recently got your hands on the Russian version. Yeah, it's called um, Don't, be a, Don't Be Scared of the Wolf. I'm not okay. sure what the wolf is, but it is Work? true not to be scared of them, uh-huh. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah what was that process like um really tough and I really think it will always be the hardest thing I've ever done and my proudest achievement like getting a book published is when I think that our first talks were 2018 2019 and it came out 2022 
um, and you don't get your first royalty statement until a year after that. So it's like a five year process. Anyway, it ended up in me sending 400 emails. Yeah. I bought basically the database of publishers and all their personal email addresses in London. It's not illegal. (laughs) (laughs) I went through all of that. And in this database, it basically states that this agent at this publishing house is specifically looking for self-help books or career books. So I targeted all of them. Um, I made each email personal to that person. I didn't copy and paste. So I was, I literally wrote 400 emails selling books. Of those 400 emails, I think I got 10 replies. Mm. To this day, 10 replies. Um, And of the 10 replies, I think about five were rejections, just saying, um, it's not our bag. And we think you need someone who can um, uh, mold the book into like something like beautiful and we just don't have the time or we don't have that capability. And then a couple said we're interested and then wanted to make loads of changes with, that I didn't agree with and then what's really funny is the book did a whole 360 the first woman I ever published it to at one specific publishing house loved it from the very beginning I pitched it to her over a word doc and a coffee and sod's law the day after she went on maternity leave and so there's gardening leave in publishing oh, so she, I, yeah. I couldn't approach any other publishers for six months so I sat on it And then after the six months passed, that's when I sent the 400 emails. She came off of maternity leave. She had changed publishing houses. I tracked her down, found her, and I said, hi, remember me? This is where the book is at now. What do you think? And she was like, I still love it. Like, do these changes. I did the changes. She pitched it the following week. And it went down as the best presentation they've ever received. Oh, wow. Lawrence King said that, yeah, himself. So you, you talked earlier about the Charles Saatchis and the generations before who have written career books. What do you think your youth brought to the table that wasn't included in those books? It was written from being 1920, yeah. like the bulk of it. We're talking 2014, it could have existed. It's just mad also what's had to happen in the world and in the world of publishing for me to be able to release this book. Yeah. It's great. I think the pandemic had a big part to play. I think some of the pages wouldn't have been relevant if they hadn't been rewritten during a pandemic. Was that an impression that you got from publishers that the mm. pandemic in the past couple of years made a big difference in terms of it actually being published? Totally. I've put in um, pages on working from home that literally didn't exist in the first manuscript of the mm. book. There was no working from home. There was no pages originally on work-life balance or the vagus nerve, which connects your tummy to your brain, what you eat is how you think, and you know, your stress levels, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't in there. The book was originally written for 18 to 24 year olds because I wanted it to be the book that should have existed when I was 18. I think I'm just very perceptive. I'm quite outspoken, I'm quite sarcastic. I think I've got a different view on work than a lot of people, Um, and I suppose, you know, all of these pointers that I'd sort of written down, um, people hadn't necessarily found in a book before. Um, And along the way, I sort of fleshed out my point. So I went on to study psychotherapy. I went on to, you know, work in retail, work in commercial real estate. Like none of what I've done has made sense. And yet I have learned something really valuable from each job I've had. Mm -hmm. So I suppose 
it's gone from the foundations of the book being this funny thing before I've even embarked on life really I'm still at uni to oh I learned that from walking dogs oh I learned that from selling bath bombs on King's Road oh I learned that from being a presenter I've been in all these weird sticky situations with important people or scary people intimidating people um and I suppose that's what makes my take on things slightly unique Mm. is that um I've had about 20 jobs. (laughs) Did you ever get the impression kind of in your career that your vast array of experience had given you exposure to things, ideas, ways of working that the other people in companies that you were going to just didn't have? Yeah, and I found a lot that I'd walk in. I feel like I look younger than I maybe am and people would just look at me going, you've got a good point, but do you know what you're doing? And I found that really frustrating. Like I might have been 25, but by then I'd had so much experience that when I'd walk into a room with confidence, like everyone says you have to do, make yourself known, people would look at me like, who's this 25 year old telling us what to do? And what I've found over and over again, it's not till now I'm in my mid thirties that people have decided to take me seriously, um, is that people were like either intimidated by me or just embarrassed that maybe I had a different take than they had Mm. um that I was sort of saying don't do it that way have you thought about doing it this way yeah um but I feel like everyone sort of faces that issue especially women being a young girl in the workplace you know surrounded by middle-aged men thinking what we're fine with before you came along we were fine it's time for a shameless plug If you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll want to receive our People Experience newsletter. It's a fortnightly download of the creme de la creme of progressive people and talent, content, jobs and events from here at Handle and beyond. You can find the sign up link in the podcast description. What realizations did you have while writing the book? I realized in writing the book that I hate the word career because I think it's unrealistic it's a bit intimidating I personally don't think I've had one um, and I think people feel under a lot of pressure to you know build a career and and move up the career ladder but I don't really necessarily think it's just one ladder you're moving yeah that's an interesting point what do you what do you find so kind of untruthful about the idea of having a career Or, or first what do you what do you think defines a career to you my dad someone who just went for the first job they were offered and worked their way up the same ladder until they became like the big dog of the ladder and uh they know what they know and they've never been tempted to veer away from it right that to me is a career and you know when I went to uni and I studied advertising I always just thought I'd start as a junior then I'd be a midweight copywriter then I'd be a senior copywriter and then I'd be in the big sort of meetings and with the accounts people and all of that Um, and then I realized that's just like not how it works like you make these decisions when you're 18 um, and and that's what I realized from my 10-12 internships in advertising I suddenly realized oh, this actually isn't the environment that I love. Like, Mm. I love writing. I want to be a writer for something. um, But I'm not into, like, the advertising culture. And it took life and experience for me to realise that. And that's when I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Lo and behold, MTV came along, and that's where, like, I went completely south, west, whatever. Um, 
again forgotten the question oh careers um I just think for a lot of people, especially people our age, you you dabble. You don't end up sticking to the same thing for like 30 years. Yeah. I guess it's about redefining what a career yeah. is. Yeah. And appreciating that the exposure that those different experiences give you can like build amazing tools. It's yeah. not just about like the upward climb. It's about sidesteps yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. I kind of what you were saying there about we make these decisions when we're really young. I always think that's an interesting one, especially over the past couple of years and kind of the the different amount of exposure that young people are getting mm. in their businesses and then in terms of kind of careers as a whole. I wonder if that's like an undiscussed part of hybrid work, working from home, is that people, young people specifically, aren't actually getting a chance to go into offices, go into yeah. businesses and take a look around at like the breadth of yeah, roles yeah, yeah. And, and gain kind of an understanding of that. Have you... I feel like they're that? massively missing out. Yeah. Like it actually really saddens me that they won't ever get that experience. And even now, you know, when I'm applying for jobs and in the interview process, they always say, we're hybrid working at the moment, three, four days at home, one day in the office. And I'm like, and they're like, how does that sound? My response is always like, oh, I actually like want to leave my living room. I want to have a reason to, you know, take off my pajamas and actually put on some jeans. Um, like, I don't work the same at mm. home. Like, whether it's Teams or on Zoom, it's not the same. Like, we could have done this on Zoom. My answers would be totally different. Like, the vibe would be different. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important that young people get the opportunity to be in an office amongst all of it. And even something as simple as the commute and the routine of, you know, going to bed at a certain time, waking up at a certain time, having your breakfast, getting dressed, getting on a train, arriving to work. Hi everyone, would you like a coffee? Sitting down at nine o'clock. Like all these little things are so beneficial. Um, you might not realize at the time, but a lot of young people aren't getting that. Yeah. I think it's just interesting that we leave school or university or college or wherever wherever people have gone and we're expected to have to be these little business people with like mm -hmm. an understanding of, of different functions and, mm -hmm. and what they do and how they yeah. relate to each other. I think people who are designing jobs and who are designing companies in 2023 forget that you have absolutely no idea what's going on and you're just flailing about yeah. trying to gather information yeah. from wherever you can mm -hmm. and it's a very different scenario doing that mm -hmm. in front of your computer mm -hmm. in your like flat share mm -hmm. what's one work trend attitude phrase that you would like to throw in the bin i hate when companies refer to themselves as a family. Uh -huh. I think that's very dangerous. And it's lovely for the companies that are genuine and they do feel like they're a family, but I think the concept is really weird. Why? Do you have a contract with your mum? Does she pay you to be Does she pay you to be her daughter? Um like can you quit being her daughter like tomorrow and find a new mum? I just think 
it's a really clever leadership tactic to make you feel like you're incredibly valued, you're incredibly important, and without you, the whole office is going to crumble. When, in actuality, like I mentioned in the book, within a week, you're either like unfriended on Facebook, unfriended on Instagram, you're never going to see the people again, and you've been replaced like that. And all it takes is a bottle of Prosecco and a goodbye card, and they're on to the next one. So it's lovely if you mean it, but I, I'm pretty sure you don't think your boss is as close to you as your uncle. And I think that's something that people are quite tuned into right now because of the enormous exodus of talent it's that took so place last naff. year. It's so naff. It's <laughs> naff. Like, it's cringe. Like, it makes me feel like, okay, if you're really my family, then I'm going to come in and say, guys, I'm going through a really horrible breakup. Do you mind if I come in in my pyjamas and I just eat Ben and Jerry's and cry in the corner all day. What are the behaviours and attitudes that you just love with people that you work with and in companies that you work? I love when people care about my opinion. They want to involve me. I might not be um, from that department, but they'll value that. Like, come on in on this meeting. We think you'll have something to offer. Anything collaborative is what I'm all about. Just because I'm here, let's say, as a copywriter, doesn't mean that I can't help you and you can't help me with words. Or like, you you can spot that typo too. Like, I wanna run things by you. Don't ever think that I know it, I know it all just because I'm doing what I do. I value you, you value me. Um, So yeah, collaboration, guidance, just to be shown that you're valued I don't think I think that's these are all like really hard things to come by if you were talking to a HR a people professional (laughs) what would be your first piece of advice for them making work not suck what I will say is I think it's really important to bring in young people like fresh minds unbelievable what they'll come up with and how little you know like I think I'm pretty clued up I read a lot I you know sure but the difference between a 23 year old's ideas versus mine are going to be drastically different and what I have found in jobs in the past is we'll have an intern come in they might be 19 they might be in tracksuit with messy hair they haven't quite you know gathered that they need to you know care yet um and people will just get them to get the coffee in the morning or you know oh yeah she can sit in on this meeting it will be really great for her to see how we do stuff but no actually ask their opinion they'll have something to offer that you might not have thought of they'll have a different perspective Karina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I hope that it was remotely useful, parts of it.